What is up, B.A. family, and welcome to another episode of the Breathe and Air podcast, where everyday action meets extraordinary mindset. Today's guest is a rising star in the country music scene. His blind audition featured a rousing rendition of Honky Tonk Women, which has been viewed over two million times. This performance ultimately led him to being on Team Blake on The Voice and he even got to play with childhood heroes such as Travis Tritt. He is a Texas kid, grew up with music in the family, Mr. Andrew Sevener. His new single, Hungover, will be released June 2nd this year to Texas radio and everywhere that you stream music. So super excited for that release and all the new music that is coming from Mr. Sevener. We had an incredible talk about his humble roots, his love for music, and where he sees himself in the future. Great guy, great music, and I know you guys are in for a real treat. If you want to hear more from Andrew and the band, you can check him out over at andrewsevenermusic.com on all of your music streaming platforms, or you can find him on Instagram at Andrew, the letter seven, E-R music. That's Andrew, the letter seven, E-R music on Instagram as well. If you like today's episode, share it with a friend, share it with a family member, share it with someone who you think would enjoy Andrew's music and the conversation that we had. As always, if you haven't checked us out on Instagram yet, Go over to Instagram and hit that follow button for us at Breathe and Air Podcast to keep you all updated with everything that's going on with the show and all the fun, exciting things that we have planned for you all. You're the foundation of this podcast, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode and joining us on this beautiful day. Today's episode is brought to you by the top content and media creators in the game for all of your website development for all of your social media content needs, for all of your logo design, photography, you name it, they have it over at Garden Fresh Media. Today, it is a no-brainer to have an online presence with great content that will want to draw people in to see and view and learn more about your product. Look no further than Garden Fresh Media to make those dreams come alive. You can find them online at GardenFreshMedia.com. And if you're interested in a logo design, you can get $50 off with promo code BREATHE50. That is $50 off with promo code BREATHE50. And without further ado, it is my pleasure introducing to you from the great state of Texas, Mr. Andrew Sevener. Today we have an up-and-coming country singer who debuted a lot of his music on season 16 of The Voice. He finished top five there with Team Blake, and his name is Andrew Sevener. He has some new music out and new album coming soon, if I'm correct, right? Yes, sir. That's that. So tell us a little bit about the new album. I'm pumped for it. Man, uh, 
it's been a long time in the works. Uh, there's actually a couple of songs on there that we've held on to for about four years now. Uh, it's It kind of all came to fruition. We were originally before The Voice, I was going to do an EP, uh, like a four track EP. Then The Voice came and I put that on hold and then started recording more songs. I started writing. Then I got with the management company and then COVID happened. And it was like, well, let's just keep writing and just see what happens. And then it turned into a 16 track album. So uh, it's, it, I'm really excited about, it. we've got, uh, I've written a lot of the songs myself, but I do have some really talented songwriters on it. Uh, Jerry Glidewell, uh, Chad Rowland, um, Michael Delaney. Um, I'm really excited about this. It's it kind of a variety. Yeah. It's uh, like a mix of Southern rock. Uh, country and then some like really like chill like acoustic music like james taylor type stuff Ooh, i like that so it's got a lot of stuff that's different on it yeah i love that that hybrid sound is kind of where a lot of this you know texas scene is going and we can kind of talk about that a little but let's start from the beginning kind of what got you into music i know that there's a music background in your family so tell us a little bit about that uh well for one, uh, it's really kind of cool. My dad, he used to tour all over the country. Um, he left home when he was really young, like probably 14, 15 years old, and uh, left home and started playing. Back in the day, they had these things called hotel circuits where you would get hired on at a hotel to play their lobby for like four or five hours a day, and you would do it for like a month or two. That's how you would book it, and then you would just move on to the next one. So he did that, and he also got all of his brothers and his sister into it. So, like, his older brother uh, plays drums, his older sister sings. He plays guitar, bass, piano. He could drum a little bit. He sings. And then um, his three younger brothers, uh, they all learned uh, – two of them learned how to play guitar, and one of them is a singer and a drummer. And uh, then my mom got came into it. My dad was sent his – like early 30s and she was 18 and they met at a bar in the stockyards called Phil Day McNasty's <laughs> and uh, it's a it's kind of a wild story and she was just sitting there playing or something and then uh, the guitar player was like messing up all of her songs and dad went up there and took the guitar from the dude's hands and started playing Wow! and sang, and played her songs and they kind of you know were first like just very business and she went on the road with them for a little while and then they started their own band and then they started you know getting into a relationship and they quit for a while and then uh, to have me and then I started showing interest uh from like I don't know, fourth grade and uh, started learning how to play guitar and piano and uh, just kind of went through that learning le like learning from my dad and learning from my mom and uh then uh, probably, I'm going to say when I was 13, uh, we started playing in bars together. It was me, my dad, and my mom, and my aunt, his, uh, my dad's sister. And uh, we all started playing together, and then we started getting a band together, and we just kept growing from there, and uh, the, then went on to The Voice, and so far, so on and so forth. Right. What was it like growing up in a family where, you know, you had all that music around you? Did that kind of drive you to want to play and sing and learn that more? Honestly, I, 
I really didn't want to. Um, I did like I. I always thought it was kind of cool, uh, but the only reason why I picked it up is because, like, in fourth or fifth grade, Dad said chicks dig guitar players, <laughs> and you know, I was always a big sports guy. I was in you know four or five different sports like all the way growing up, and uh, I always thought I was going to be an offensive lineman, you know, or playing football somewhere, you know, and going to the NFL and that kind of stuff. And then when I stopped growing in like sixth grade, I realized, well, I might need to change something. Cause I know NFL team's going to want a five foot eight and three quarter, you know, offensive lineman. And, uh, dad always, dad's my dad is full of pearls of wisdom. And he was like, Andrew, when you're in high school and everything, and you're having to pay for gas and stuff for your car to go to parties and stuff, would you rather be the guy that's getting tips playing at the party and making all the chicks want them? Or would you rather be the guy delivering pizzas to the party? And I was like, you know, the, the first one sounds a lot more appetizing than delivering pizzas. And so then at that point, I really started wanting to kind of pursue music. And, you know, the band thing was always just uh, with my folks was always just kind of a do it for fun, get a little extra money on top of it. I never took it seriously as a career until I dropped out of college after my first semester in Kansas, went back home and decided to try to be a full-time musician because honestly, I was just lazy and I didn't want to have to go to work and I hated school. Um, but then I decided uh, I was going to work, go to school and play music. And then music just kind of took over from there. Yeah. Where were you working before? While you're doing all this, what are you doing on the side? Dude, I did so many things. I started off uh, like uh, mowing lawns with uh, my cousin. He owned uh, my cousin's husband. He owns like a lawn care company. And I found out that was seasonal. <laughs> and uh, so then I went on and I was pushing carts at Sam's Warehouse. Uh, went on to my first full-time job as a general maintenance guy at a hotel. And then from there I went and started working on motorhomes. Uh, and that's where, when I was there, they really kind of gave me the flexibility to go off and do whatever I wanted with music. Like there was days I showed up to work at 7am and I would sit there and talk to my boss about, you know, my gigs that I had. Because at that time I was playing, you know, four or five times a week along with working five days a week. Mm -hmm. And I would tell him about my gigs the night before or whatever. And I remember this one time I got a phone call and uh, like while I was sitting in my boss's office and they wanted me in Shreveport, Louisiana for a gig. <clears throat> and I said, uh, hey, you know, Steve, I got to I got to leave uh, a little early today so I can make it to Shreveport. He says. Go on. You can go ahead and leave now. I'll leave you clocked in until about two o'clock. Yeah. Uh, and this is like eight in the morning. I'm like, are you sure? He's like, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, that's So I did a lot of different things leading up to being a full-time musician. Hmm. It seems that that path, everyone that I talked to, that path is just part of it for the, for the most part. Like you got to get in the dirt and grind a little right? Mm -hmm. in music. What was it like growing up in Alvarado, Texas? Dude, that's one of the hardest questions that I get because it's literally, if you watch any movie, 
that is based in a small town with an emphasis on football, that's it. <laughs> like, that's, there's no other way to explain it. It's just football was, you know, uh, a second religion. Uh, and it was pretty much like as soon as you get into football as a young kid, uh, you're being molded to be an Alvarado Indian at a high school football level. And that's all it was. I mean, me and my buddies, there was really not much to do because at the time Alvarado was really small. And really the only thing, like we did things for fun. We went out and dug holes and filled them with water and acted like they were a hot tub. Like that's kind of the stuff we did. And uh, I'm very fortunate. My parents have, you know, a couple of seven acres of land. And so we used to do some weird stuff out here. We used to let the grass grow and dad would build a maze and we would play paintball. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. But like the grass was taller than you. Like, and so you couldn't see anything and it was super fun, but we just, you know, we used to do some weird stuff and, Obviously, football, baseball, uh, basketball for a short amount of time for me. I realized I wasn't a basketball player when my dad was the head coach of the team and I still sat the bench. (laughs) So, like, we used to just play a lot of sports, uh, do a lot lot of stuff outside, and pretty much be molded into an Alvarado Indian from, like, birth. It's funny you say that because anyone that's not from Texas doesn't realize what football means to – to the state, you know, especially oh, yeah. level two. I remember I, I moved from Lubbock, Texas to um, St. Louis, Missouri area, Eureka, when I was going into high school and going in, I was middle of eighth grade. So going to be a freshman in high school. And I remember my dad told me the story that they were touring the high school and they're showing them around and show, show them the football field. And they're like, yeah, this is the football field. My dad looks around and he's like, oh, yeah, this is, this is a nice practice field. And they're like, no, this is like the actual field. <laughs> <laughs> this used to like big 10, 12, 20,000, you know, st- people, you know, stadiums. Growing up in Keller, South Lake, you know, they sold out season tickets. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like the, the day that they dropped. So it is just a different world. But what did – sports teach you at a younger age that has helped you now, even in your music career? Man. uh, So when I got into high school football, uh, I had some really great coaches and I was one of the smallest, probably like probably the second smallest offensive lineman in the state of Texas in three, a division two football. Like uh, back in the day, uh, I was a lot lighter than I am now. I was like, five eight 210 pounds soaking wet and uh literally they taught me that hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard mm, yeah and i kind of lived my life by that because I, I wasn't talented at football and sports at all like i really wasn't and uh, i just had to work my ass off right and uh like i i would show up before school and work out have our middle of the day, our fifth period workouts, then have our school, like after football or after school football practice, and then work out after that. Like I lived in the weight room, ate right, did everything, uh, joined like powerlifting and track just to get my footwork and my strength up. Like I lived uh, in for football and 
I kind of carry that over to my music career because uh, one thing that the boys taught me too was that there's always someone more talented than you out there um, in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Uh, either there's someone who's a better singer, there's someone who's a better guitar player, or someone who writes better or performs better. But if they're not working as hard as you are, you're going to eventually either catch up to them or, be, or you know, surpass them. And that's one thing that I learned and that I always carry over into every day is that, you know, pretty much if you're working your butt off, you can't fail. Yeah. And when you do, you take it as a learning experience. Mm. Wise words, wise words right there, y'all. Tell me a little bit, you mentioned the voice. How did this come to be? And, you know, how did that even happen in the first place? Man, I, I went into it really weird. (laughs) like I was talking to my producer when I was on the voice he was like we've never had anybody get on the way you did like it's just weird so I released I dropped out of college the second time Uh, I got accepted in the nursing program and everything and decided you know I'm releasing a single let's see where this goes I'll, I'll hate myself forever if I don't chase this dream and uh, I was working at that uh, motorhome dealership, and uh, I, I, my music, where I put my music on, uh, they put it on Spotify and iTunes and Apple Music for me, and I pay like a monthly fee, and uh, I get my royalties through there and stuff. It was called Reverb Nation, and they had this little promotion thing. It was like skip the line for the voice, yeah, and because you got to go through a couple preliminary rounds before you actually get to the TV round. And uh, I was sitting there and I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll give it a shot. So I sent two of my songs in and months didn't hear anything. I also sent in something, uh, 96.3 KSCS, 99.5 The Wolf. There are two big cumulus radio stations, country stations. They're doing like a songwriting competition. And you send in a song and then whoever gets the most votes gets to go to Nashville and perform for judges and then and pretty much you get airplay on these massive radio stations for a while so i did that and i remember in the same day i got denied for that 96.3 kscs 99.5 the wolf thing and like i was super upset i was mad uh and uh you know i was like maybe this music thing isn't for me literally like 20 minutes later i got an email saying hey you you they accepted your skip the line for the voice thing, meet here at this time, yada, yada, yada. So then I went and tried out and they pretty much were very vague. Yeah. Like we like, you, but you know, we're not going to tell you anything. Mm-hmm. And then long story short, I ended up getting a call back and then going to LA. So that's wild. <laughs> I mean, it, it happens that fast too, huh? Yeah. Well, honestly, that was over the span for me sending that in the first time to me actually getting on the TV show and my episode airing, it was like six months. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Yeah. Was this your first time in LA or had you been to California before? Very first time. What a culture shock, huh? (laughs) I was not a fan. Yeah. To be honest. We were like, I, I don't know exactly where we were. I want to say it was like 
Burbank maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just weird. Like there were, there were a lot more homeless people than I thought yeah. there would be. And, you know, I, there was a contestant on the voice uh, named Dexter Roberts. Like, I like to consider myself a pretty decent human being. This man went above and beyond for people like all the time he went out and bought, like he was walked to a restaurant or something and he got to know this homeless guy. And literally the guy was like, I'm an artist, you know, I just, and I, I don't have a drug problem. I don't have a drinking problem. I just, uh, I stuck to my guns with art and I just can't make it. Like I've lost everything. And uh, Dexter was like, man, show me what you got. And so he drew like a portrait of Dexter or something. And it was gorgeous. It looked great. Yeah. So Dexter went out and bought him like, like a hundred dollars worth of clothes, like $150 worth of food, like uh, non-perishables, like an air mattress and everything. He was just living in a ditch. And to me, I was like, it, it blew my mind because someone with that much talent, and he's just unable to make it there. It's just, it blows my mind. Yeah, that is wild to think about that, that so many people just pick up and go there in hopes that they make it. And then the cost of living, I mean, is ridiculous too. And everybody there is trying to do the exact same thing. Oh, yeah. Well, it is wild. So how long were you up there? And like kind of what was the, when you first went in, what was it like, uh, I mean, doing a contestant form? Man. It was, so I was there for a grand total, like I was back and forth a lot, but I want to say it was like over probably the six to seven month, seven month span. I was there and back, there and back, there and back. I'd be there for like a month or two, come back home for a couple of weeks, go back. And then when it got to the live rounds, you were there until you, you were done. Um, I remember the very first time I walked into the place that we were staying at and it was scary. Like, like I had never considered myself a very like great singer or anything. And you get around, we would sit around and do like these little campfire jams and there's people just, you know, doing all the, do all that stuff. And I'm sitting there like, what? <laughs> I can't do any of that. And it's very intimidating. Um, and I had to lean on my mom and dad a lot. You know, they were musicians all their lives. And so I'm like, you know, I can't do half the stuff they're doing. And they're like, it's okay. You know, you do you, you stick to your guns and what you're good at and you'll do fine. And, but yeah, it was very intimidating. The whole contestant thing. It was like, from the very beginning you were pretty much like royalty is a very strong word but you're that's how like you were treated like yeah. you got shuttled everywhere um you got if you had a dietary thing like if you're a vegetarian or something they had special food for you it was it was crazy and i like i'd never experienced anything like that the closest thing i got was a we got a par- parade coming out of alvarado the first time we went to state in my sophomore year like that was the closest thing I ever got to that. And, but it was fun. Like it was, it was honestly really nice. Yeah, oh, I bet. What was it like when, when Blake turns his chair around and you have, you know, a classic uh, country artist 
saying that he wants you on his team. I'm going to be honest. I didn't even realize that he turned his chair around. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you have no idea how loud it is on stage. Just, I mean, you might, you might be a musician, but, uh, you like, it's 10 times louder on that stage. Right. They've, they've got like the floor, the entire stage is like lined with speakers for monitors. So like everywhere you go, you can hear yourself. And so I didn't notice anything. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure when he turned, I was in the middle of a guitar solo. I didn't hear it. I didn't see it. And then next thing you know, like I hear the crowd just going wild. I'm like looking up at the crowd and I look over and there's Blake like air guitar in it like that. And I was like, Oh shit. Hell yeah. And, uh, it was like, I'm going to be honest. I blacked out for most of it. Yeah. Um, I don't, have any like serious recollections of how I was feeling in that moment. I just know like, as I'm on my way back to the hotel and to leave, to pack up my stuff, to go back home for a little while with my family, they're all freaking out and like shoving me around and stuff. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and they're like, can you believe Blake picked you? And I was like, you did. <laughs> like, I, I like, you can ask my mom, my dad, my fiance, like, it's just I didn't realize what had gone on, and, but once I figured it out, I was over the moon excited. It's just it's kind of like verification that all your hard work that you put in um, and the talent that you have is recognized by somebody who knows the business and has done this for a while. Yeah, absolutely. So, Would you? So you said you've played sports, obviously, you know, you've been on stage on, on big stages and this is something I like to talk about a lot because I think it relates to business to any time when you're like tapping into a flow state where, like you said, you basically blacked out time doesn't exist. Nothing exists. You're just in this tunnel vision of like flow. And I'm sure this happens for you on stage sometimes, but is that something that every time you play a set, you kind of get into that flow state and things just kind of simmer away or uh, to a degree. Yeah. If the show is going really good, then yes. Yeah. Like, you know, w- with the problem with live music is that there are screw ups. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, some, most of the time people listening in the crowd don't realize there's a screw up, but once you practice so much, like for me, I'm kind of somewhat of a perfectionist. And so like, even though I've never played a perfect show in my life, uh, I expect my guys to be as close to perfect as humanly possible. So if my drummer Riley, if he messes up something, I like, if, even if I'm in that flow, I, it's like, what'd you do? Like, I just, I hear it and I, I get a little upset about it, but then I realized, Hey, you know, no one else figured that out. Right. Right. So, but yeah, like on stage, sometimes that happens, especially when it's really good and everything's flowing perfect. Uh, like I played a show fresh off the voice, uh, probably about a month later after we got done with the voice and me and the guy who got second on my season guy, um, we played a sold out show for 4,000 people in louisiana somewhere and uh literally we had a 45 minute set to open up for him and 
I still to this day cannot remember. I can remember stepping on stage and telling my guys not to be nervous and then walking to my merch booth afterwards. Yeah. And it's just, you get into like the zone where, you know, nothing can phase you. You're just doing everything right. And it feels, it feels good, but you also miss out on some of those really cool moments. Right. Right. It's, it's interesting you say that because we talked a little bit before about, you know, there's, there's some guys in the industry in the Texas music scene that I've gotten to thankfully, you know, see it in a different light from the stage, you know, from the back, Mm -hmm. from the front. And there is times where I would see that artist, you know, get, get frustrated or upset and turn around, you know, to, to his band and kind of speak to the mic in between, you know, riffs or whatever, and kind of be like, Hey, like, get this together, like get that together. Of course, from the fans perspective, they may not know, you know, but it is interesting how that ear after so much repetition can be heard, even the smallest little nuances when you're in a set that it, it really is interesting to me. But what was it like, uh, you know, playing with Travis Tritt, one of your childhood, you know, heroes? Oh, dude, that like Blake is a cool guy. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But Travis is 10 times cooler. Like, <laughs> I told you my dog would go crazy here in about 30 minutes. But uh, he, man, he's such a nice guy, for one. But on top of that, he's super talented and he knows what he needs. Mm-hmm. Like, he was doing, like, his ear monitors. And he was telling them, like, certain DBs that need to be brought down and brought up and everything. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, dude, I have, you're speaking a different language to me. But he's done it so long and everything that he's just – the coolest thing about Travis is that when I first met him, uh, I had this whole speech planned in my head. And literally, it just went to – he took all the words out of my mouth. Yeah. He came up to me, shook my hand, was like, man, it is such an honor to be able to play with you on stage. Thank you, you know, for – having me out and I'm so glad that I could play a part in molding, you know, your, your sound and what you wanted to do. And I'm sitting there, I'm just like baffled. Like, Oh my God, this is Travis Tripp. Yeah. Uh, he's super nice. By the way, you're about to see my fiance Mallory. What's up? About Mallory? Five seconds. Hi Mallory. Hi. Hi. Going? <laughs> I like, yeah. I like to be awkward with her when she, uh, inter- and when she comes home. <laughs> I was going to say interrupts me, but she no fault of her own. No, yeah, absolutely. Well, and tell me tell me what the biggest lesson was that you learned from that whole, whole experience, that dreamlike experience. Man, the biggest lesson I learned was from Blake, and it was pretty much be yourself. Mm-hmm. And I know that's super cliche sounding. Right. But – it was the best advice he ever I have ever gotten because he was like, be yourself. Because if you try to put on this fake persona, it's going to be seen through by somebody mm. and stay true to who you are as a musician and in your personal life. You know, like my thing is like he was telling me because I remember there was this one song that I had to do. I, I believe it was in the battle rounds. I was singing tequila by Dan and Shay. Yeah. I do not sing that kind of music i just don't like i you pay me you tip me enough yeah i will uh but at the same time i won't i wouldn't choose to sing that song 
Right. Not dissing Dan and Shay or that song or anything. It's just it's not my forte. Right. And he was just like, man, you you have to learn to make certain songs your own. Like if you get bigger in the business, you're going to be pitched someone's original song at some point, and it may not be you in the demo. But if you stick to true to who you are and uh, what you want to do with your sound and who you are as a musician and as a person eventually you'll hear that song and you'll be like, I know how I, how I can make this mean. Yeah. And not only that, but like, don't let outside forces control who you are. Like he says, there's going to be times where you have a management company or a uh, publishing company or something that tells you, you need to be this mm-hmm. and you don't have to be. He says, like, if you if you stick to who you are and you work your butt off and you have a little bit of talent, you'll be able to make it far. But if you start changing who you are, you know, it's going to start creating problems down the road. Mm. And that's one of the best lessons that I learned from that. That and. Uh, the your persona that you put off is a big deal too. <clears throat> I it was like the best and worst compliment that I've ever gotten was one of my producers came up to me and says, "You're not the best singer that we have on this show. I promise you that. But your on your on stage personality, your on camera personality are f- fantastic." Yeah. And I was like, "Thanks, <laughs> back like, compliment, but I'll take it." Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the other thing I learned is that if you're, you're being yourself and you're just having fun with the situations that you're given, you know, and you let your natural persona come through, I'm, I'm kind of an extrovert. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just happy a lot of the times. Uh, and I like to make people happy. I like to make people laugh and smile and feel things. And so that's just me. And I decided to stick with that when I was on camera, uh, because that was my opportunity to say, Hey, you know, I don't care what you got going on right now. It could be something horrible going on in your life, but for this, you know, 15 seconds that I'm going to be talking on this camera, I want you to feel something different. Mm. I want you to feel good. Right. And so that was kind of my idea going into it. And that's how I kind of learned, uh, more about my stage presence and more of how I'm going to be and on stage and how I want to be as a person. And it just kind of helped me mold who I am and the person that I want to be. Mm. That's so applicable to everybody listening, not just in music, like life in general. And, you know, one of the reasons why I even started this show was that reason exactly to be able to be like this is this is who i am like i'm okay to have these uncomfortable conversations sometimes talk about feelings as a man or whatever it may be that you know is a stigma like be true to who you are and good things will happen and i, I really believe in that for 100 oh yeah and i'm i'm right there with you like i still cry every time i watch the notebook in front of that lights like <laughs> that's just that's just me if you like it cool if you don't cool Exactly. Exactly. You don't have to appeal to the masses, right? That's, exactly. That's one thing I've learned as well. You know, it's okay to have your opinions and be who you are and not falter in those things. And some people aren't going to like it and that's okay. Like, yeah, 
is this thing that everybody has to like. No, it's not like, I mean, not everybody has, there's a lot of people in this world, you know? Exactly. And if you stick to who you are and you keep doing what you want to do and what makes you happy, you're going to find that niche, whether it be, you know, 5,000 people, four people or 4 million people, like somebody is going to relate to what you got going on but you don't have to try to change anything of what you're doing to appeal to the people that aren't. Mm, very true. I have a question regarding the scenes that you've seen, because you've seen that LA Nashville kind of side, I would say of country music. And then you're, you know, South of Fort Worth and, uh, in Alvarado and, and you have the Texas country music scene, the red dirt scene that's, you know, becoming a little bit more increasingly popular, but, uh, has its totally different sound. <laughs> Far as what's coming out now you mentioned before you know your rock and country roots and then even like a little bit of the acoustic side of things so you know what's the biggest difference that you've seen between those two scenes man honestly when it comes to the people there's not a whole lot of difference yeah um everyone that i've ran across whether it be in the la nashville scene or the texas country scene uh, spread throughout like Louisiana and Oklahoma and Texas. Yeah. Everyone is genuinely good people right? Uh, that are just trying to make it. And, you know, I may not necessarily love the music that they're put, like some people are putting out, but at the same time, I respect what they're doing because they're staying true to who they are. Right. Uh, and really the only difference between that I could tell between like the Nashville LA scene and the Texas country scene is honestly just the music. Um, everyone's, you know, nice. Uh, they're fun. They're, they're good people. I haven't met one mean or evil person, you know? Um, the only difference is, is that in the Nashville scene, it's more of that pop country, like with the, like the, kind of rap beats i guess i don't know how else you would say it just the computerized like drums and stuff in texas it's all about the purity of music and then in la it's a lot more um, I, I guess eclectic's the word it's just different like you've like you've got john mayer you've got you know uh dirty honey which is one of my favorite bands yeah. right now um You've got all these different, the different side of music, like Texas and Nashville. Their one common theme is like a Southern accent. Right. With, with LA, it's like, there's no common theme to those two. Right. And that, that's really honestly the biggest difference is just the music for me. Mm -hmm. For sure. What were some of your influences growing up as far as, I know we spoke about Travis Tripp, but it seems like you have an infusion of, you know, influences that influence your sound. Who, who are some of the big ones? Oh, man, that's kind of tough. <laughs> I, I So my dad was a completely different side of music than my mom was. Mm -hmm. So, like, if I was in my mom's car, I was listening to Clint Black, Travis Tritt, Tanya Tucker, The Judds, you know, gospel music, all that stuff. When I was in dad's car, I was listening to Steely Dan, Boss Gags. Uh, Sanford Townsend, like kind of the yacht rock. And then when I was with my buddies, it was all like Metallica and Nirvana and that kind of stuff. So the ones that I really kind of drew from 
that I like to say that uh, have influenced my music a lot and just how I am as an artist is um, mainly Travis Tritt. I love the Southern rock country vibe that he has where he kind of fused both of them together in like perfect harmony. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I also love the Almond Brothers because of how difficult their stuff is to play. Uh, But on top of that, I love the like the writing style and the feel of a lot of the songs from like John Mayer, Steely Dan and James Taylor. Yeah. Like with those three guys, you have a story with every song that you hear and you have a certain groove and like, um, that's just different with Almond Brothers. It's, it gets more on the rock side and it's, um, really kind of like, difficult to play i'm a guitar player too and damn dog (laughs) he'd bark if a fly farted in the next county but um you know like with uh, the almond brothers i'm a guitar being a guitar player and everything as well as a singer i love how they fuse the uh, you know the lead guitars together and they do the harmony guitar lines and these really like weird beats And then on top of that, I love how not simplistic Travis Tritt is, but just the way he sang, the way his voice is. And those were some of like, those are my main starting influences. As I've gotten a little older and I've I've gotten more into the music scene, uh, Chris Stapleton has also become another big one of mine just because um, uh, I, I love how he sings and I love the big notes that he hits and stuff. And, I try to push myself to be able to do those notes and stuff like that. Yeah. He really, he's got pipes for sure. Oh yeah, He's got pipes. And I, it's funny you say John Mayer because I really love John Mayer. Uh, Some of his live sets, I I encourage anyone. to like, Oh, you like John Mayer? Go listen to some of his live sets where he's up there, you know, live at the Nokia. Yeah. Like playing slow dancing in a burning room and just the guitar like that. Mm -hmm shred guitar <laughs> and, and I've, I've met people that don't like his voice and i'm like if you don't like his voice then you don't like music yeah like it's like it appeals to everybody yeah uh what was uh what's one of my one favorite ones um ain't no sunshine he's playing ain't no sunshine live if you haven't heard that go and he just goes on i don't know maybe a minute solo and I've heard an interview from him where he talks about how he sees colors sometimes when he's, you know, in a solo and riffing and you could tell, I mean, he's just, his whole body and everything is just like we said, that flow state just lost in the music. It's a beautiful beautiful thing. It definitely is. What does music mean to you? Hmm. I've never gotten that question before, man. Music to me is just, Honestly, and this may sound a little cliche, but it's it, it's just kind of freedom. Yeah. Just because when you're playing music, as a musician, when you're playing music and you do get in that kind of flow state like you were talking about, you get lost. Like, every, like all your problems, like your, you know, girlfriend or whoever could have broken up with you right before the gig. And once you start playing, it's just everything that's going on with your world, whether it be wrong or right, is just gone. Yeah. And that was probably two, three hours, however long you're playing. You're, you're just 
it's just you and you're just singing and you're playing as an audience member. I, I would say the same because once you're there and you're listening to music and you're having drinks with your buddies or whatever the case may be for the two hours that the band's playing, you get to forget everything. Right. Like you don't have to worry about, you could have a deadline coming up on a test or a paper or like a project for your work. And you, for that couple of hours, you get to just be free and just have fun. Yeah. That's, that is, that is the beautiful thing about it. And I'm excited that it's slowly coming back as an artist. Was it tough during that time of, you know, no live shows are, are happening. It was tough. Uh, luckily I had some money that I put back yeah. that helped me get through it. Uh, some of my friends uh, that are in the music industry weren't so lucky. Um, but I was able to continue to live off of that while, uh, playing as many private events as possible. And I, luckily I found the light at the end of the tunnel with COVID because during that time I realized, and here it goes again. Damn dog. Wants to be part of the show. (laughs) Oh yeah. But, uh, you know, at that same time I found out that we were going to record an album instead of just an EP. So we used that time as wisely as we could and decided, hey, instead of doing a four-track EP, let's go ahead and do a 10-track album. And then it grew to a 12-track album. And then it was like, well, hey, we've released like five singles to Spotify and Apple Music and all that stuff and streaming sites. Let's let's remaster them and put them back on the album. Like, might as well, because I think I've got one from like two years ago that we're going to kind of remix it, remaster it and throw it back on the album. And that's what we decided to do. So that entire time I was flying back and forth from Nashville. I was playing as many shows as I could. I was playing the Facebook live streams, um, getting a couple of tips there. Uh, you know, I picked up a little side gigs. Like I got mow lawns and stuff like that. Uh, one of my buddies had a RV that needed a roof repaired. I went and, like in the middle of like all the heat went to his like tin barn where his uh, RV was sitting and fixed his roof for like three days. Like I I did everything I could to survive. And luckily uh, my fiance, she, I was also very fortunate because we made a deal when she moved in that uh, she goes to school and she works full time. And I said, look, all your money that you get from your work goes to your school. Um, I want you to have no worries about being able to pay for school because she pays for it all all by herself. And uh, she was able, she got a raise and a bonus and all that stuff. She was able to help out when I wasn't able to, which it hurt a lot because I, I want to be that provider. I want to be that guy that takes care of her, but at the same time, this is a partnership. And that's one of the things that I learned. And so I was able to get through it, but it was tough. It was, it was not the funnest year that I've ever had. Right. The good thing is though, is that it molded you for sure as a person even more and it, and it makes your cause even stronger going through that hard time. And I think that, you know, coming out of this, we're going to see like shows and, you know, 
bars and everything are going to be packed for people that are just yearning to get back in that social, you know, setting, but also to hear live music again. Like people love live music and are drawn to that. And I just feel like it's going to, the next couple of years, once it finally does fully clear out, it's going to be, it's going to be nuts. Well, even in Texas, since it's opened, it's just been every show that we've had has been sold out. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been crazy. Like before when I would play these places, we would have a really good crowd, but now it's just like, uh, they're turning people away because they're at capacity. Yeah. And as an artist, that's a really great feeling that you can say, yeah, for the past five, six shows or so I've sold out every single one. Yeah. And that's a really amazing feeling, uh, to be able to say that after a year of not being able to really play for anyone. Right. So I don't know how much you can tell us here, but when, when are we going to see the new album? Man, your guess is as good as mine, to be honest with you. We've, uh, this is kind of a Frankenstein album. I ain't going to lie. Uh, so some of these songs, like I was saying before, I've held on for like four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recorded them at a studio in Fort Worth, then got on with my manager and we decided to record in Nashville. So we recorded with another producer in Nashville and did the whole album. Uh, we took some of the songs to our radio promoter and he says, Hey, the radio programmers across the country, they love what they're hearing, but the quality to be on there isn't quite there. So we're going to another producer. So we've gone through some of these two and some of these three producers mm-hmm. uh, for the, for this album to get it perfect. Um, uh, I'm I'm hopeful I'm hopeful that we'll have our first national radio single in June, and then have our complete album out by August September. Beautiful, beautiful. I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that. What is what's next for you once this album drops? And, and kind of where do you see your music going and, and your career path? Like what, what's some of your goals going, going forward? Well, my goals, uh, the thing with music is it's fickle. Like you never know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be like this radio singer that we're trying to put out. It could hit big and just catapult our career. It could do nothing and do absolutely nothing for us. Uh, and that could be either the production. It could be that people don't like what I have to say in my lyrics. It could be that people don't like how I'm singing it. You know, whatever the case may be, you never know what's going to happen. Some of my goals that I have for this, uh, after the album drops and everything, is pretty much um, play as much as I can. I want to start getting on bigger tickets uh, with bigger artists, uh, playing more festivals, uh, that kind of stuff, traveling more, uh, getting to where, so the guys in my band, I know there's three guys in my band right now. One of them's fairly new is, is our new guitar player, but my bass player and my drummer, they've been with me for about a year and a half or so a year to a year and a half. And some, and I think two year to two years. Yeah. And I want to be able to say, cause if, if I don't know if you've ever been at a Travis trick concert, I go every time he's at Billy Bob's and every time he always says, this is my guitar player. He's been with me for 37 years or 32 years. And 
But I want to be able to say that with these guys. So I want to give my guys more of a, uh, um, uh, what is it? Security, job security. Right. And what they're doing, because to be able to get to a point where you can guarantee someone in your troop money, that's to me a very big milestone. Because when you're just playing gigs like this, you never like just weekend to weekend, you never know right. what's going to happen. And if you get to the point where you're like, hey, you're going to be making X amount of dollars every year, then you're steady, you're playing, you're playing a lot of shows, you're playing bigger shows. And that's eventually where I want to get to. And hopefully, depending on how good everything is and how good everything goes, is will depend on that. And, you know, uh, all, all-time biggest goal is um, honestly just to reach people. Mm. Like I don't care if it's five people, five million, five billion. I don't care. Uh, I just want to be able to. My biggest goal in music right now is to play for any crowd of any size and stop singing one of my songs that I've written lyrics to and have them sing it back with me not even having to help. Mm. That's my biggest number one goal. And if I can make it to a point where that happens, I'd be happy. Yeah. I, well, listening to you, I, I can tell you that I, I definitely believe that that's going to happen for you. You have, you have the talent and the sound and you also have, you know, the mindset and the determination that it takes to be great. So, you know, I, I'll be here watching. I'll be here watching because it's going to happen. I'm, I'm, I appreciate that, man. Yeah. So where can everybody find, you know, find your music and know about shows that are maybe coming to a town near them? So uh, on social media, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok, it's all the same. It's at uh, Andrew, the number seven ER music. Uh, give me a follow. Uh, we post all of our shows on Instagram and Facebook. Twitter is kind of like my uh, I don't understand Twitter. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, that's my, like, where I say just really dumb stuff and talk about TV shows that I watch. Um, and then on TikTok, it, you never know what you're going to get. We nicknamed that the shit show because it's videos from us on the road um, doing dumb stuff, like locking one of my, uh, my old guitar player in a trailer, uh, you know, and just to me playing music to whatever we decide to put on there. So you can find me anywhere on social media at Andrew, the number seven ER music. And then if you just want to look up Andrew S E V E N E R on Spotify, Apple music, Google play, all that stuff. We're, we're all around. Beautiful. I got one more question for you. So all y'all go check out Andrew's music. If you haven't heard him before, he's extremely talented and, and great music and great music coming. So y'all will definitely like his sound. My last question for you is, what is your definition of success? My definition of success is happiness. Hmm. You know, uh, to, to me, uh, you know, I would love to make buttloads of money. I would love to, you know, do all that great stuff that I was just talking about. But ultimately, it's if you're happy. You know, if you're happy you know, staying at home and being able to love on your woman or your man uh, whenever you want and, you know, raise your kids right and stuff like that, then you've had success. If, uh, if you want to make loads of money and that makes you happy, 
then that's your success. You know, uh, I think success is different for everybody. Uh, but for me, uh, happiness is the number one success for me is just being happy with what you do and how you do it. Beautiful. Very well said. Very well said. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your time, man. It's been absolute pleasure talking to you and get to know you a little better. And, and like I said, y'all go check out Andrew and his music and, uh, Big things coming in the future for Andrew. I can tell you that right now. So I'm calling it here. All right, we back. We, what is it? Wednesday, March 31st. So in a couple of years from now, when he's playing sold out shows and the crowd is singing the music back, you heard it here first. Well, I appreciate it, man. Likewise, thanks for having me on, man. All right, y'all. Well, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Breathe and Air podcast, where everyday action meets extraordinary mindset if y'all enjoyed today's episode go ahead and hit that purple subscribe button leave a comment reach out to me or andrew go check out his music we'd love to hear your feedback and thank y'all so much have a great rest of your week thank you guys